Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. So our series this at the moment, uh, since uh, beginning of January, has been smashing it, and we've been looking at smashing it in different areas. And the the overarching idea for this is is not that we we don't want quick fixes. Okay, we want to get better, but we're not looking for quick fixes. We're looking for small, steady steps in the right direction because it's direction, not our intention, that determines our destination. It's direction, not intention, that determines our destination. So small, consistent steps in the right direction takes us where we want to go. And so I want you to ask yourself two questions, okay? And it's relevant to this. Is The first question is, where am I right now? Okay, where am I in my life right now? And we have to be honest with ourselves that maybe we're not perhaps smashing it in every area. Perhaps we're not living the life that we know we can or experiencing the life that uh, we know that God says. We, you know, we've just been talking about how our identity is in our Heavenly Father. Maybe we haven't been living like that. So let's be honest about where we are right now. And then the second question is, um, where do I see myself in the future, whether that's at the end of this year or in two years or in five years' time. And again, you know, in, in these particular areas, in our relationships, maybe in our marriage, maybe in our families, maybe in our, you know, in our parenting, in our work, in our finances, where do I see myself in the future? So we've got an honest perspective of where we are and also an honest perspective of where we want to get to. And Maybe, you know, young people, maybe you're looking at your education and you're thinking, um, you know, where do I see myself going this year? Maybe you're applying for universities or you're looking forward to uh, going to college in September. Maybe you want to be smashing it with your friendships at school or in your subjects at school. We've all got areas that we want to be doing, doing better in. And so we look at where we want to get to. And this is kind of our, it's kind of our preferred destination, And so the next question is, what steps do I need to take? Or what step, even if it's just a single step, do I take today or this week to get me heading towards my preferred destination? Thinking about where I am, where I want to get to, what step do I need to take in order to get myself, in order to be smashing it in that particular area? Because I want to be moving in the right direction because it's direction that determines our destination. Today we're thinking specifically about, I mean the title is Smashing It uh, at Work, Smashing It in Your Work, Um, but I want to expand that um, a little bit um, to include really the people that you come into contact with um, kind of outside of church. Uh, so whether that's work or at school or, or whatever. Um, my daughter Charlotte came home from school uh, one day this week and she said, oh, we had a, I had a mock job interview today. And so I said, obviously, the obvious question, well, did you get the pretend job in your pretend interview? And she says, well, yes. He said he would employ me. Oh, that's great. So you, you uh, pretend to be employed in your pretend interview for your pretend job. That's, that's excellent. And it made me think about a time uh, when I went for an interview and the interviewer asked, or said to me, we're looking for someone who is responsible. And I said, well, that's me. That's me at my last job. Every time something was wrong, they said I was responsible. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> you like that one. 
Anyway, rather than talk about just work, I want to talk about what work represents. I think work represents, for most of us, it's the environment where we come into contact with the world. Okay? The world. Now, this concept of the world is something we find all the way through Scripture, for God so loved the world. Uh, you've got to be, uh, be in the world, uh, but not of the world. Um, and I think, um, you know, Jesus had a lot of interaction with the world, far more than the religious people of the day were comfortable with. And they would say things like, why? Why does, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors? Why does he eat with sinners? Why does he do this in the world? Because their primary motivation was to avoid any contact with the world. They thought actually that was, that was something that would stop them having a relationship uh, with God. And I say, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard that expression that we have to be, as Christians, we've got to be in the world, but not of the world. And I'm not going to argue with that. Jesus kind of said it, so who am I to argue with Jesus? But maybe, maybe there's something about that, that um, our interpretation of that, that hasn't been uh, quite as it should be. Because I think that sometimes our attitude can be, yeah, we're in the world. Oh, unfortunately, we're in the world. We've got to make sure that we're not of the world, but oh, we've got to live in this world because we're here. Oh, woe is us, you know. Oh, how are we going to manage this? We've got to live in the world. Um, and I think I still want us to change our thinking on that because uh, the way that um, Jesus talked about it was, was slightly different. And he talked about this in John 17. Um, and this is right, uh, there's a few chapters in John that, uh, where Jesus is talking with his disciples. They have the Last Supper. He washes their feet. And then he does this, you know, this big teaching session about unity and about love. And, and he prays to the Father for, for the disciples. And he actually prays for us as well in this time. So this is right before he's arrested and about to go to the cross. And he says this. He's talking to God. He's praying. And he says, I am coming to you now, God, Father. But I say these things while I am still in the world. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So maybe a better wording, would, rather than we're we, uh, in the world but not of the world, maybe a better, better wording would be, we don't want to be of the world, but we are sent into the world. This is our mission, guys. This is, our, this is what we're purposing. This is our calling. This is the great commission. Go, therefore, into all the world, preaching and baptizing and making disciples. So whatever your touch point is with the world, whether that's at work or at school or at Penny's Cafe or you know, wherever your touch point is with the world, that's kind of the place that you're sent into. That's the place you're sending. In fact, can I go as far as to say that you are God's blessing on your workplace? You are God's favour on your workplace, on the people that you come into contact with. And in order for us to, to smash it in our work or in the world, we need to see the world as our mission. So there's a number of principles that we can um, uh, take on board to help us. 
And in fact, what I've decided to do, as I've been preparing for this, uh, I think it's such a big subject. I'm going to take a couple of weeks on it. Uh, and this week, I'm going to give you just three uh, principles. I'm going to take it from the Old Testament, from the book of Daniel. We're going to get our inspiration from uh, Daniel uh, in, our, in the Old Testament today and his buddies. If you've spent any time in church or going to Sunday school, you've probably learned all about Daniel in the lion's den. You probably did that whole fuzzy felt thing with Daniel and lions and, and uh, you know, yeah, if you, some Sunday, who can remember Sunday church and fuzzy felt? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you've probably done all that. And uh, so we kind of know some of the story of Daniel. Um, but let me just give you a, a brief historical context for this. So it's like 600 years before Jesus comes, 600 BC about. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and the empire of Babylon, uh, they're taking over the world. All right? they're, really st- they're smashing it in what they're doing, okay? which is they're building this empire. And they're on their way to Judah. They, in fact, they besiege the kingdom of Judah. Uh, and then eventually they get through and they conquer Judah and they uh, steal all the treasure and they enslave the whole nation. They exile a lot of the people back to Babylon. And in fact, they take some of the people, um, the best of the best, and they say, in fact, what you're going to do is you're going to come and serve the king. Okay, so we only want the best people, but you're going to be trained for three years and you're going to serve the king for the rest of your life. That's going to be your job. Um, and so if you look at the book of Daniel, the latter part of Daniel is, is kind of all about Daniel's prophecies and the words and the visions and the dreams he gets from God about the future. Uh, but the first kind of six chapters, it gives us a bit of a, uh, a historical understanding of what these guys had to go through um, serving the king. So we're following Daniel and three of his buddies, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, so, and I think actually... Daniel's situation, Daniel's circumstances, they parallel often what we face. You know, he had to be in this environment where he was working with people who didn't have the same beliefs. He didn't have the same values as he did, didn't serve the same God that he did. And he had to find a way to smash it. He had to navigate that working and thriving in that society, in that environment, just like we have to do in our own workplaces. So how do we thrive? How do we smash it at work? Well, uh, three principles. My first principle is, and it's been the same one every week, uh, so we should be getting to know this one now, time with Jesus. I really hope you're getting this. I really hope you're getting this. This has been our number one principle every week because it is the number one principle, I think, in every aspect of life. Every area of life seems to uh, just come together or work together for good when we have time with Jesus, when we have our relationship with the Father um, kind of just working and, and smashing it. So um, we need to recognize his voice. And I think this only comes by regular contact with him. So Daniel, King Darius then, uh, this is in uh, chapter 6, he's issued a decree forbidding anyone to pray to any uh, God or human except for King Darius himself. So we've Nebuchadnezzar, we've had Nebuchadnezzar, there have been another couple of kings, and now we've got King Darius. And uh, what does Daniel do? Being told he can't pray to God anymore. And we read in, in verse 10, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So what does Daniel do? He does time with Jesus. Time with Jesus. Even when time with Jesus is the very thing that's likely to get him killed. 
He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do time with Jesus. And it's not something that he starts doing because he's going through a bit of a tricky patch. We've all done that, haven't we? You know, the, the, the poo hits the fan, if you excuse the expression. It's all going horribly wrong. And we think, oh, I need to get on my knees because it's an emergency. We've all done that. I've done it so many times. And then when it all gets calm again, we kind of go, yeah, 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 you know, back to normal. I'm living my life again. And sometimes I'll have time with Jesus and sometimes I won't. But it says Daniel prayed. What does he say? Just as he had done before. He doesn't do anything new. He just keeps doing what he'd always done. Not in response to an emergency. God, God is not the coast guard who we call when we're sinking. God is the pilot who will help us navigate through the troubled seas. He's not the coast guard. He's a pilot. And Paul, writing to the Philippian church, um, says something interesting. He said, I consider everything a loss because of the uh, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and, uh, and be found in him. So everything about uh, the Apostle Paul that looked good, and believe me, there was a lot. There was a lot about Paul that looked good. His credentials, um, his, his zeal, his adherence to the law, his position he, uh, within the establishment. He considered them all rubbish. He considered them garbage compared with knowing Jesus. And you only get to know Jesus when you spend time with him. So if there's any aspect of life, if there's any area you want to see progress in, start with this principle. Can I really recommend that you spend regular daily time with Jesus, reading his words, praying to him, listening to his voice, giving him worship, letting his wisdom direct your life, let him guide you. The number of times that the trajectory of my own life has changed because of a, actually a small word, you know, something I've read or just a thought that's dropped into my mind in my quiet time and my whole life has just gone in a completely new direction. I am here. We live here in Ferndale. We're doing this church because of a small voice that said, do make one small decision and, and everything else kind of follows on from it. So don't be anxious about anything. Paul tells the Philippian church, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and what happens, the peace of God that passes understanding, guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So when Daniel gets on his knees, he's not panicking, he's just, what does it say, he's actually, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. Wow, giving thanks, he's in that tricky situation, but he's there just giving thanks. I don't think he knows even that he's going to be saved. I don't think he's giving thanks because he knows you're going to rescue me. I don't think that's where he's at at all. He hasn't read this. He didn't go to Sunday school. Okay? He hadn't seen the fuzzy felt. He didn't know the end from the beginning. And, and yet, he's there and he's giving thanks to God out of his relationship, his daily time with God. And there's another example when in the New Testament, the disciples have been out fishing um, all night and they've caught nothing. And I know that we can sometimes feel like that, that we've been working hard as anything and we've caught nothing. We haven't seen any fruit. It just feels like drudgery. I've had some jobs that have just felt like that. I once worked in a foundry. Um, not for long, it was a summer job. Um, but I had to essentially get uh, shovelfuls of ore into a big cauldron and then move that cauldron onto a conveyor belt. And that's what I did all day long, every day, for months. My word, that was backbreaking and it was mind-numbing and it was so hard. And sometimes you go through 
times of work when you just think this is so difficult. And yet, what we need is Jesus' input and get a fresh perspective. That's where we're going to find our purpose. So what does Jesus say to the disciples? He says, look, go out. Go to deep water and cast your nets out again. And like, we've been fishing all night. Actually, some might call me an expert. I think I know what I'm doing. Uh, We've done it, and I know we haven't caught anything. It's just not going to happen today. But actually, because you say it, because you say it, because you say it, Jesus, I'm actually going to do it. And we know they caught the biggest catch that they'd ever caught in their entire lives just from that small word and their obedience to it. So we need to know and recognize his voice, and this only comes through regular time with Jesus. All right, so that's my first principle. My second principle is... Keep your integrity. Don't compartmentalize. Daniel 6 verse 16 says this, The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Daniel was not someone who was whole, sorry, half-hearted about God. He made it his discipline, his habit to serve God continually. Uh, nothing stopped his prayer life. Nothing got in the way of his with God life. Not even the threat of death. And I think if we're honest, we could probably say there are some aspects of our life that are maybe not up to the ideal of a kingdom life. Perhaps um, you, like me, sometimes compartmentalize our life. We put our lives in little boxes. It's so easy to do. And so we have, we have our lives separated into these different boxes and sometimes we we look into these boxes and we go yeah yeah well I'm doing well in this particular area so this this box here this is my Sunday morning box yeah don't I look nice I put my shirt on and I've been singing and I've been praying and um, I've turned up to church and I was on time and I put put a bit of money in the offering this is my Sunday morning box this here let me show you my Wednesday box because on Wednesday I went out delivering uh, um, blankets to the homeless in fact I'm going to put this box on Facebook because that looks really good And, and so we have these boxes that look really good and then perhaps we've got these other boxes that maybe don't look quite as good and we don't really want to open those we don't want to show people those and maybe this is my Uh, my kind of hanging out at work with the guys where perhaps my language and my attitude hasn't been quite right. Maybe this is me at school and talking with the friends and actually I shouldn't have said those things. And maybe this box here, uh, this is my kind of internet browsing history. Don't really want anyone to see that box because there's stuff on there that doesn't make me look particularly good. And we have our good boxes and we have our bad boxes and... We compartmentalize our life and we try and keep these boxes hidden or worse. We compare our bad boxes to other people's bad boxes and we think, ah, phew, my bad box isn't quite as bad as their bad box, so I'll be all right, I'm sure. You know, if we we can stack, but they've got far more bad boxes than I have. Theirs is like a big wall. Mine's only a little kind of sofa-shaped thing here. And we compartmentalize our life. Maybe we are happy to be saved. Maybe we have our salvation box and, and occasionally we look in and go, oh, glory, I'm saved. God's, God's got me. And it, it's probably true. And we open it up and we hear, soon and very soon, I'm going to see the king. And that's great. And we like to listen to that one. But then we've got these other bad boxes and we open it and we hear, this is the highway to hell. And we go, oh, I don't want to hear that one. That's a, bit of a, uh, that's a bit of a one I need to hide. But if I know anything about a real kingdom life, a life that's smashing it, it's a life that's whole. It's a life of integrity. The word integrity is an interesting word. It comes from the, uh, the word integer. 
Any mathematicians here knows what an integer is? It's a, it's a whole number. And that's what it means to, to have integrity. It just means to be, to be whole, to be the same person in every situation that we find ourselves in. And I think when it comes to, to work, we just need to be ourselves. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do, and there's lots of pressure on us to not be like that. But there's a great example in chapter 3 of Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, has built this huge image of gold. And he commands everybody that whenever any, any music plays, everybody has to fall on their knees and worship this particular idol. And if they don't, they're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. And I know that work can be a little bit like this. I don't mean that work or at school that they've given you idols to worship or big golden idols. If they have, you should probably leave. Um, but what I mean is there's pressure. There's pressure to conform to what other people are doing. The programs they are watching. The way that your friends are speaking. The attitude they have towards others. There can be a real pressure to fit in, to be the same. I know because I've been in environments where I've done that myself. The people we come into contact with, the world, that environment, they have ways of doing things. They have speech, patterns of speech and patterns of actions that it's tempting to just try and fit in. And, and yet we're told to not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by renewing our mind. So there's three young men who have been exiled to Babylon, and they're, they're one of these, the king's servants, and they decide that they can't obey this new decree to worship this idol. And it would go against their own God-given laws and against their own values. And so the king, who's really angry, comes to them and gives them one more chance. He says, look, if you do it now, then we'll say no more about it. And, and they respond with, actually, I think it's probably my favourite passage in the whole of Scripture. My favourite uh, few sentences that they, they respond. And it's, it's amazing. Uh, because these guys were people of faith. And I know that they would have prayed for a deliverance at every stage. So as they hear, you know, they're, they're living in Jerusalem, they would have heard that Nebuchadnezzar and his armies are approaching Jerusalem, and they would have prayed. Sorry, let me just move back a little bit. They would have prayed for deliverance. God save us from this army. And then they're under siege, the armies around Jerusalem, and they go, God save us, bring deliverance to us. And yet they're attacked and they're overthrown. And then there's loads of people being exiled. They're, God save us from being exiled. And yet these guys are exiled. And then God, deliver us from being chosen as one of these guys having to serve the king. We really don't want to work in that environment, God. And yet they're chosen. And now they come to this point where they've, they haven't bowed down to the idol and they would have said, God, deliver us, save us from being found out that, that we're doing this. But they get found out and they're facing the furnace. Um, but then they say this statement, which is brilliant. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. What faith from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That's faith. Faith is not just something, you know, oh, great man of faith, he has all his prayers answered. Huh? Great faith is just continuing when it feels like it's all going wrong. When maybe you think your prayers haven't been heard or you haven't been answered. Let me tell you, they have been heard. Maybe they haven't been answered in the way that you think. But it takes great faith to keep, keep going. And that's what they do. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to do 
what you ask us to. This is a life of integrity, a life that says, I'm, a, I'm part of a better kingdom. And there's nothing you can say or do to me that will make me compromise who I am. Got, I'm not going to compartmentalize my life. I'm a new creation. I am who God says I am. And my life, my choices are going to reflect who that is. I would rather face your ridicule than be someone who I'm not. So don't compartmentalize. Live a life of integrity. Okay, my third principle and my final principle today. Work wholeheartedly. Work your best. Do your best. In whatever job you find yourself in, whether it's, it's kind of manual labor, whether it's difficult work, whether it's monotonous work, whether it's short-term, whether it's long-term, whatever it is, do your best work. It may seem obvious, but I think it's worth saying. And I think particularly in the context of, of smashing it, in the world or smashing it at work or in school or wherever we have our interactions, Jesus, he calls us to be a light. He calls us to be a light to the world in our workplace, in our school, in our classroom, in our community. And we're told not to put our light under a bowl. We're not called to be kind of secret service Christians, okay? We're called to be a light in the places where we interact with people. Not spending our lives looking over our shoulder to see who's looking, feeling sheepish. And I know, I know what it's like. We can even try and hide it, not because we're embarrassed, but because for for their sake, we think, oh, if I show who I really am, then actually they're just going to feel judged. And I'm not judging them, but they are going to feel like it, so I'm going to have to temper down a little bit who I am. And maybe there is some wisdom in it. We know that Daniel showed wisdom. But we need to be true to who we are and we need to be a light. I remember as a child, and my mum and dad will confirm this, as a child, the church we were part of used to do these open air things in the town, in Willinall Town. And, um, you know, we'd have, uh, the church would gather there, there'd be people with guitars and there'd be somebody on a, on a box preaching and there'd be drama, uh, there'd be uh, all these things. And me, what would I, I'd be trying to hide from my mates I mean I'm not part of that I'm over here uh, please uh, just, I'm just watching I'm just watching um, not wanting to be associated with it and by the way that's not my mum playing the guitar and that's not my dad standing on the box <laughs> actually it was I just wanted to blend in I wanted to take my light and find the biggest darkest bowl and put it under there and then, of course, there were those special occasions where my mom would make me bring my trumpet. You can't hide with a trumpet. It's impossible. If you're playing the trumpet, everybody notices. Everyone notices. Trumpet and guitar, you're going to see the trumpeter. It was so hard. And it wasn't, you know, and I spent my, quite a lot of my childhood just trying not to be associated and trying to blend in. And it wasn't until later on uh, in my school life that I changed and I decided, actually, I'm just going to be who I am. And it was actually after that that my best friend gave his life to Jesus and, you know, and things, things changed for the better. We're called to be a light. Jesus tells us that we, are, we must be different from the world around us and we're sent into the world. We're involved in the world. You are the light of the world, he says. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good deeds glorify your Father. You do the good deeds, they glorify God. That's a great deal. In our workplaces, and I think if, we're, if we can work our best, that is like our good deeds. 
It's our witness. And Daniel shows a great example of this in chapter 2. So Nebuchadnezzar has, a, has this troubling dream. And normally the king would gather his advisors, his wise men, and he'd tell them the dream. And then he'd say, right, now you tell me what the dream meant. But in this case, he does something different. He gathers his advisors and says, I want you to tell me what I dreamt, and I want you to tell me what the dream means. And they're like, <laughs> that's not how this works. You, you tell us the dream first, and then we tell you what it means. And they have a bit of tit for tat, they have a bit of an argument, and eventually the king says, you tell me what the dream is, and what it means, otherwise I'm going to kill you all. It seems like he's having a bit of a bad day. Uh, he's just like, he wants to kill them. Um, and so, you know, they go, oh no, they're all about to be executed. And so the commander comes to Daniel, ready to arrest him, to execute him. And Daniel, it tells us that he says he spoke with wisdom and tact. Wow, where did he get his wisdom and tact from? He got it from his time with Jesus. Um, but he speaks with him and tact, and he says, why has the king issued this? And they explain what's going on. And so he goes with his three buddies into a quiet room, and they pray. And then God reveals the dream to him and reveals the meaning to him. So it's all going well. And at this point, you could imagine Daniel going to the king and saying, I've got it. I've got the answer. I'm your man. Don't worry about all these other advisors. Feel free to execute. Those. They're pretty useless, really. But I've got the answer. This was his opportunity to climb up that greasy pole, to get to the top of the ladder, get everybody else out of the way. But he doesn't. He goes to the commander and says, look, 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 look. don't execute anyone. Don't execute anyone. I've got the answer. And he brings the blessing onto the entire crowd of astrologers and fortune tellers and wise guys. These were people who stood for everything against what he was. But you know what? Because of his interaction with God, because of the answer, because of who he was, he brought a blessing. He was a light to everybody, not just to the king, but to everybody else. They all shared in, in his good news, in the blessing. He does his job and everyone benefits. And the result... Well, at the end of that chapter, Nebuchadnezzar makes this great statement. He says, surely, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the revealer of mysteries. Good deeds glorify your Father. You do the good. You do good work. People will glorify God. They will ask you. They will, you know, it happens all the time. You, you, you're just somehow different. They will say, what is, it, what is it that's different about you? And it gives you a chance to witness because they see that you're different. So first and foremost, we should be the best we can. Whatever our job is, we do it well. Uh, Paul, writing to the Colossian church, makes this statement. Slaves or workers, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. When you're at school and you've got that homework assignment, when you're at work and you've got that bit of a duff job that nobody else wants to do, when you're going through the monotony of that day to day, say to yourself, oh, I'm not doing this for them, I'm doing this for God and I'm going to give it my best because He is worthy of my best. Whatever else is going on, He is faithful, He is worthy of my best. That should be our perspective. In our schools, in the world, in the workplace, we should be a taste of Jesus. We should be that sample. And I love samples. I'm just going to finish with this story. Close to where we used to live, there was a, a Chinese wholesale a shop. And we would go there. Uh, the reason we'd like to go there was because always when you went through the door, they had samples in little tubs. 
And so we'd go there and we'd keep going around and we'd get a little uh, tub, of, tub of Chinese food and eat it and go around again, send the kids around, right, this is your lunch, kids. And, and, <laughs> and sometimes, yeah, if we invite you around for a Chinese meal, lower your expectations, maybe. Um, <laughs> But, you know, the, the kids would come and say, oh, it's really spicy. It's really spicy. Like, it's your lunch. Take it or leave it. And they're like, well, can we at least have some water or a drink? We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're giving away free samples of drinks, knock yourself out, then feel free. Um, what's my point? I'm not sure. No, no, I do know. What's my point? It's going to be bad business to just give away free samples, but that's not what they do. What they do is they give you a sample and then they point you to aisle three. So this is it. You can get it and take it home for yourself. If you go to aisle three, you can find it right there and have some yourself. That's good business. And that's exactly what we're called to do. We go and we are a sample of Jesus. And when somebody says to you, there's something different about you, we can point them to aisle three. Not aisle three, but you get the, you get the analogy. You can point them to the one who makes us different. You say, I'm different because of what's inside me. In fact, one something that I found works really well is to say, you don't want to know. You don't want to know because that makes them really want to know. And you go, they go no, no, what's different? Oh, you don't want to know. I would tell you, but you really don't want to know. Oh, and they go, please tell me. Oh. So we point them. We be a sample of Jesus. We be the light of the world. And then we show them to the true light of the world. We show them to the one who changes everything. That's a great way to be a witness. And it tells us in Daniel that the king found these four guys ten times better than everybody else. It says they could find no corruption in Daniel. And you know what? At the end of every chapter, it feels like they, they just keep getting promoted. They keep getting, and eventually, he ends up as number three in the whole land. Uh, Daniel does, just because he's being who he is, time with Jesus, having, keeping integrity, not being compartmentalized, and working his best in that environment. Just like Daniel, I want to pray that God will give you knowledge and understanding so you can be smashing it wherever you're facing work in the world. Let me just pray.